Welcome to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am your host, Adam Comero, and uh, I'm recording this on Sunday night, the day after Duke throttled Virginia Tech, 88-64. to It was also uh, Coach K. It was his career win, number 1,000, 1K, for while coaching a ranked Duke team. And that's just crazy in the first place when you think about it. I mean, how many coaches have even coached 1,000 games while coaching a ranked team? And he's not only coached, he's won a thousand games. It's just another kind of just going into the stats and going over it. It's, it's just amazing. Every single podcast I could bring up something that's just mind blowing. For now, my first question to my guest, Greg, who is a potential co host. He's just going by Greg right now. In the future, you might know his uh, last name. Right now, it's still super secret. Greg, uh, with the 88 64 win. Should Duke have allowed a meaningless final bucket by Virginia Tech to completely reverse the NC State score of losing 88-66? Thank you very much for having me. I don't know. That's a good. That's a very good question. I think. I think trying to erase the NC State uh, memory as quickly as possible um, is is would would be beneficial to the team. I think is the further Duke gets away from that game, the better. And if uh, exercising the 22-point loss with a 24-point victory is what does it, then I say more power to them. Let's just go over the whole time they were just talking about on the telecast and in articles and even in the reactions to Virginia Tech about how, oh, Duke got it together. Duke got it together. They, they competed harder. And anyone who listened to my NC State reaction pod, you know that – Obviously, the human element is involved, but at the same time, they lost because of basketball aspects. And let, let's see, was Duke making shots yesterday because they were just competing harder? I mean, let's look at the catch and shoot, the overall catch and shoot. Duke was 11 for 22 against uh, Virginia Tech, against NC State. They were 1 for 11. So just right there, does that mean they were they just wanted it more? They wanted the ball to go in, so they had some super secret mental ability to make the ball go in? I'm obviously being uh, sarcastic because, no. I mean, there's aspects in terms of the intensity, amped up the intensity, but at the same time, they did a lot of things against Virginia Tech better, and that is we'll get into now. Just a couple of quick hitters we'll go over before we get into more of the specifics. First, it's worth recognizing Virginia Tech was coming off a tough three-overtime loss to Miami. A team coming off a three-overtime loss, and I think two games before that, they had lost in overtime as well. So, I mean, it's rough. And this is a team, they, things were looking good. They, like some people, some were actually thinking about them as a possible attorney team. And when, when they had beaten Michigan State and they were headed into Duke, they were being written about and uh, mentioned on shows as a team that all of a sudden, wow, that Mike Young had nothing to work with coming over from Wofford, and all of a sudden he's gotten them to, like to be a real a real power in the ACC, a possible tourney team. Things have obviously not worked out as they would have hoped, but they're still a very interesting team. Mike Young really devises an excellent offense, and I think because there's so much talk about their offense, their defense can get can be a bit underrated. So they still came to Duke, and they competed hard. They just didn't kind of have enough, and that's where it does get into the intensity and in terms of just 
yeah, you can say Duke competed harder. I don't think they did. I think they were, they played more urgently. I think that's very different than just trying harder. I think that's a big difference. But at the same time, I mean, you got a team coming off a three-overtime loss and a team that's basically been roasted by their coach in Duke for the last couple of days trying to really make up for it. Then you have, you have the talent difference in the first place. So it's not too surprising what happened. But at the same time, you never quite know how a team is going to react from, from getting beat, especially as badly as they did versus NC State. And they came out, as much as the house on fire NC State came out against Duke, it worked the same way against Virginia Tech. Duke scored on 10 of their first 12 possessions. They hit five of, of six threes in the first eight and a half minutes, the last being Big Verns to put them up uh, 28-14. Then, as happens with this team, the percentage from deep dropped. And then they hit 5 of 19 the rest of the game, not counting Justin Robinson's feel-good bomb with 14 seconds left. But either way, I mean, it was more than the threes. They really came out like they had something to prove, and that was shown on defense. But one man was uh, at least semi-responsible for that because if you think about why was the defense, why did they look more intense? Who was the guy that hit a, a ton of threes? It was the same guy that... I ranted about the last podcast. Why wasn't he playing the last game? Because when he was on the court, the defense was great. When he was off the court, the defense stunk. And I'm not saying he's going to single-handedly change around the offense, but it was at least better when he was on the court versus NC State. So now when he's on the court all the time against Virginia Tech and they show they're doing better on offense and defense, is it just that they competed harder? Or maybe they actually had the player on the court that they should have had the whole time versus NC State. I don't know. There's no definitive answer for that. But at the same time, it's great to see that uh, Cassius, he came out and just really went at it. In his previous eight games, he was actually 6 of 29 from deep. So what was he, like 5 of 6 from 3, something like that, or 4 of 5 from 3? Um, maybe I'm thinking of 5 of 6 because I'm still, I still have nightmares of Mark L. Johnson. But... <laughs> Also, Duke recovered from its poor free-throw shooting game against State, made 74% of shots from the line, and I'm not even sure what's more surprising. The, the fact that Matthew Hurt shot 10 of them, or him being the guy who actually had an issue, hitting just six. <laughs> uh, a couple other quick things. This was actually the first game with no one playing 30 minutes since the opening game of the calendar year at Miami. So it's been quite a while. It just goes to show that it's nice to have the depth. It's not the depth that many think in terms of how everyone's versatile, but at the same time, it's nice to have the depth so against different teams, you can play them different ways. In Virginia Tech, there are some certain aspects which you need certain guys who can make a huge difference. So how did you feel the rotations went in this game against Virginia Tech? And just Cassius, he obviously was huge. If there was any lingering aspects of state weather, I mean, just the way that uh, we were talking before, we wondered. And I mean, even though since he played the last like 15 minutes to me, I was like, oh, they, you know what? It can't be his eye. I mean, if he's playing the rest of the game, it's still worth wondering. I mean, when somebody misses a full game with an eye issue and then is kind of in and out at the start of the next game, it's worth wondering. So it was good to see him really go all out, no inhibitions, and just absolutely be on fire from three as well as his usual defense. How'd you feel about Cassius in the rotation overall versus Tech? Oh, it was wonderful to see Cassius back to that. Um, as far as the eye injury goes, I, I, you know, I was thinking about it. Yes, he played the, the final 15 minutes exactly like you said, 
And I, I think that he probably had all the intensity um, that he usually has. But I'm sure you've been in a situation yourself where like maybe it, maybe it, it's not a debilitating injury or anything like that, but it was enough to maybe just bug him. You know, and sometimes having something just bug you a little bit can throw off other things. Uh, I'm sure he was well enough to play. I mean, but the fact that he didn't play at all against Notre Dame means it was more than just like a simple poke, right? I mean, it was probably something slightly more significant. It, I think he probably would have played in the second half of the Notre Dame game um, if that game were in any sort of question. Because if you remember correctly, Zion came out and worked his magic and all of a sudden Duke was playing amazing, right? Um, I'm joking. Um, the, uh, the, um, so the fact that, uh, that he was there in the second half of the Notre Dame game means me, makes me think that he probably could have played, but he didn't. So it bugged him. And in the state game, uh, he wasn't as effective. I don't want to blame that on an eye. It probably wasn't. Anyway, I think, I think the overall point was to see him back with the intensity level uh, that we're used to having, him playing above the rim, whether it be for blocks, whether it be for rebounds, him jumping into passing lanes is a thing of beauty. And his speed on the break uh, is, is, is awe-inspiring. When he plays at that level, I know that this is probably uh, this is this is this. I'm not breaking any new ground here, but when he plays at that level, it's hard to uh, it's hard not to think that 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 Duke's ceiling is as high as any teams in the country. Yeah, I don't know whether he was ruled out immediately for for Notre Dame, but I do kind of feel like it, it at halftime. I'm sure if he was questionable for the game, he was probably ruled out because. They had the game in hand, so he wasn't really why, – why put somebody in there if there's even a thought? And uh, at the same time, I totally understand what you mean. You make a valid point about how even though he might not be feeling the effects, it could still provide some, some sort of disadvantage for him in terms of not competing at his usual level. But at the same time, Duke – when he was on the floor, Duke was much better. Like, not just true. better, much better. So even if he wasn't providing his usual impact, he was still really providing it for the team overall. And when it's a team game, that, is, at least in my mind, would be the overall goal in the first place. Obviously, you want to do well for yourself, but the team, you want the team to, That's the, that should be kind of the overall goal for everyone around, for the team to win, and they were doing much better. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of it's it's a pointless matter to just hash that out in terms of should he or should or shouldn't he have uh, played more or whatever was going on because I've made I made myself very clear that I think it was I couldn't figure out why he wasn't and the and the and he should have if he was healthy but the bottom line is he's back now and he made a hell of an impact against Virginia Tech so either way that was great to say so the question becomes. If we're, if we're going to name a player of the game, it's actually pretty tough because, I mean, the first thought, of course, is Cassius. I mean, he, he, had a, he had a bunch of threes. He made the impact, especially after the game before when he wasn't in as much. And I, I don't know. At the same time, I think I want to uh, name a guy who I'm not even sure he was the difference maker. I'm not even sure he's somebody that, like, Duke wouldn't have smashed Virginia Tech without anyways. But at the same time, it's because of what he showed that makes me really optimistic about down-the-line production, not just in terms of his stats. Because if you look at the stats, they're actually not nearly as good as some of his other games. But Matthew Hurt, 
well, yeah, I could say it was his first double-double of his career, so congratulations to him for that. I mean, it still wasn't like any anything with the stats that'll pop off the charts. It's the way he was just straight up playing the game. It's the way he was aggressive. Because I think one thing I've made a mistake doing is kind of treating him like a Marek Dolezal, like a Nate Lazuski, mm. Marek Dolezal for Syracuse, Lazuski for Notre Dame. I mean, those guys, I, I don't mean any disrespect by this, they're kind of, they're, there's not much to them. I mean, they're, I mean, I joked in uh, the, uh, conference preview that they're, they're going to be hanging out eating scoops of weight gainer uh, together <laughs> or, or something. But like Matthew Hurt is not that. So yeah. I think it's more in terms of just him getting used to being on the floor, more comfortable against all kinds of different opponents. I do think Virginia Tech was a good matchup for him. At the same time, it's just him finally. I mean, I think Coach K even gave the quote. Somebody said like Hurt when he rebounds, it really affects in a positive way the rest of his game. And Kay was like, yeah, can you please make sure to tell him that all the time? Because <laughs> it, it makes you feel like it is a, a mentality in a way. But he did offer some reminders of Ryan Kelly during those uh, junior and senior years, the upperclassmen years, because I think, well, it's very easy. And I would say probably makes sense to compare his game overall to Ryan Kelly. If you think about Ryan Kelly in his freshman and sophomore year, as I said before, it's not what I think many, what sticks out in their head, because there's not much about his game that stuck out in anyone's head those first two years. He blossomed, he got stronger, and he got smarter. And when that happens, it allows you to not just be more physical, not just be more be more versatile, but even like on defense, you, you know where to be. You can anticipate. You feel more comfortable communicating with your teammates. And that's, that's what I saw. I mean, it wasn't just the scoring. It was the fact that his help defense, so much better. I mean, there were still some times off the dribble, like against Isaiah Wilkins when he got beaten. I don't think Landers Nolly played him the right way. I think Nolly kind of faded away from her, which allowed her to use his length. But at the same time, Hurt was much better than he has been on defense. He was much more aggressive. Overall, it was the best half. And when we, when I talk about this game, the second half, it was over. So this is going to be pretty much first half. I, w I would say it was the best half and therefore best game of Matthew Hurt's Duke career so far. How do, how do you feel about Hurt? I agree 100%. I was very impressed with Matthew Hurt yesterday. Matthew Hurt, um, we've discussed this before. Matthew Hurt at times has gotten a quick hook, whether because he, fa he fouls quickly uh, on a guy that's targeting him or something like that. Krzyzewski likes to emphasize playing defense without fouling, playing strong defense without fouling when we can. And sometimes it looks as though that uh, that the, the opposition will go at Hurt. Hurt picks up a couple of fouls, gets the quick pull, and ends up spending a lot of the time on the bench. Um, I have to credit the coaching staff here. I think I've, we've seen Matthew Hurt start some games. We've seen him in the doghouse a few times. We've seen him as a sixth man. We've seen him come in um, you know, at various times. It's, it's clear that the coaching staff is trying to find the right recipe for Matthew Hurt, uh, for the, the proper teammates for, of his and the, the, the times for him to, to succeed the most. You're absolutely right. I, I think you're right about, about Nolly. Um, I think Nolly, his eyes lit up when Hurt was on him and he tried to, tried to do a little bit too much. Wilkins did, Wilkins did get him once or twice, but you're right. It was the help side stuff. Um, I think, um, I believe it was, uh, it, it was Couture had, uh, taken Goldwire off the dribble a little bit and Hurt was right there with his hand up to, uh, to, to change a three pointer. 
Um, I remember he cut off he cut off Wilkins at one point. Wilkins had to pick up his dribble and pass. And I, and then when he, when Wilkins called for the ball again, that's when um, Hurt got into the passing lane and took it to the whole length of the court for the layup and won. I think he missed the free throw, of course. But um, like you said, it was an amazing game for him. But the stats don't jump out at you if you just look at the box score. I think he went six of ten from the free throw line. Uh, we'd like we'd like him to do a little bit better than that, and I think he will for the most part. The double double is strong. Don't get me wrong, but if you just kind of look at the box score, you're like, yeah, it's a good game. But I thought he was excellent, and and you know we were talking about Cassius playing one of his games. I think that it's I think I think you can pretty much depend on Stanley and Jones having solid games. There might be some there might be some um, some uh, some flaws in in each of their games, but. I think for the most part they're they're going to put up numbers even against uh, state those two still put up numbers, um, but um, when you have Stanley, uh, Carey, Jones, and now Matthew Hurt putting up those kind of games again, the ceiling is as high as anyone's in the country. I think you said uh, the double double is strong. Don't get me wrong. There's a nice little rhyme there. I mean, yeah, when you look at the uh, halves, I, I've talked about kind of the 15 point halves in terms of guys can just kind of light up certain halves and it's it's odd how it's never one half leads to another but at the same time it does show that it's kind of share the wealth in a way or I'll be honest some of them or probably a lot of them have occurred in blowouts so when they do it for one half usually it's the first half and it doesn't happen others but like yeah Matthew Hurt he put up a 20 point first half against uh Boston College I think that was the first Boston College matchup and he also put up a 18 against Winthrop. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, against Boston College after a 20-point first half, he ended up with 25. After an 18-point half versus Winthrop, he ended up with uh, 20. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you never know. But either way, and he also had uh, a 15-point first half versus Miami. I think, yeah, I think that was the one at uh, at, at uh, Cameron, not at Miami. So, and he ended up with 22 total. So that one he did to still contribute in the second half. But, yeah, he has been up and down. The way he played – it made it more not so that it's solely dependent on him basically hitting kind of catch-and-shoot threes, being solely dependent on not getting exposed every single time on defense because of the fact that he was contributing in other areas. And that's why it's so important. That's why I can say, like Cassius, if you look at his stats against NC State, they were nothing special. And, yeah, things could be going on uh, in terms of why that's happening. But the bottom line is he was still doing things to help the team. And that and that is absolutely the goal of what you want to do as an individual to help the team. So I think that's why I would have Matthew Hurt as the player of the game. I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a good call. I would give Matthew Hurt the honorable mention and give the player of the game to Vernon Carey, who I thought uh, between the first Virginia Tech game and this Virginia Tech game – uh, was two different players. If you remember in the first Virginia Tech game, uh, I think he played one minute in the second half. Uh, he got the quick pull because uh, he was getting flummoxed by the four guard, uh, the four guard rotation. He was getting pulled away. Uh, he would lose his man. Um, now Duke won the game. Uh, you know, it's not. I'm not talking about this. I, I, it sounds like I'm talking about this like Virginia Tech beat Duke in the first game. Obviously, they did not. Um, but it was more in spite of the fact that Kerry had a had a rough game. Um, this time around, it didn't seem to bother him at all. He was able to pass out of double teams. He was able to play strong defense. He he stayed patient. And it's you know again, I was talking about 
you know, credit the coaching staff with what they did with Matthew Hurt, trying to find the right recipe for him. Also, credit Nate James and the coaching staff for for really, really showing Vernon Carey how to play his position. I thought he was excellent yesterday. Nate James, my Stu Vetter basketball camp, summer camp counselor, won free shoes. He He's my coach, nobody else's coach. And I have to repeat that every time his name is ever mentioned. Oh, um, interesting. So... Yeah, you were talking about how the last uh, Virginia Tech game, and you know what's interesting about that is the fact that that's the game when actually Cassius tried to come back too soon after being injured. What was he injured versus? Yeah, it was injured versus uh, Winthrop, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he, he tried to come back almost immediately, and he just wasn't he wasn't ready versus uh, Virginia Tech. So I believe he played about five minutes and mm-hmm. then was taken out. Not having him in there again, it just it it affects everything. But at the same time, totally agree that Vern he was much more kind of ready. I mean, he's just I'll, I'll talk more about him and the way he's improved every aspect. And I think most of all, it's just something that really can't be identified with stats is just comfortability out there in terms mm-hmm. of knowing what's around you and being able to anticipate everything. And I think that more than anything, because with with a team like this, with so many moving parts, it can be hard to gel, especially when guys haven't played together before, when a lot of them are young. And early in the season, you're having guys come in and out, in and out, and you, you, ne- you wouldn't necessarily have a chemistry with, right. who you're, you, with who you're in with. At this point in the season, though, anyone can play with anyone not just play with them but play well the chemistry is there so I do think that makes a big difference in terms of Kay's going to sub in who's going to work for the specific game he's not just going to sub in based on ooh, do I have to worry if they're if this person is going to be able with to play with another person because he knows at this point in the season they better be because if that if that's a negative something went wrong so I think everyone is able to to play with uh, another person. So it's more about how they actually kind of play together instead of just kind of basic chemistry. Sorry, one last thing about Kerry. Um, at this point, in the, we're late into the season now. Um, he's, shooting, he's shooting nearly 60%. He's shooting almost 40% from three. Uh, the free throw shooting could use some work, but he shoots them well enough that you can't hack him. And if he's going to pass out of double teams the way he did yesterday, uh, it's going to be a tough team to beat. Even when he had the game versus Stephen F. Austin, I was saying, like, it's really weird. Because if you look at his motion and his release, it looks good. It it's does. just, I, I don't know. I, I, it's not like it shooting differently. It's just, it's weird. It kind of gets into, I hate using the word unlucky. But sometimes when he just start, misses a couple, it just snowballs in a way. I mean, I think it happened against, uh, I think Georgetown, he missed a bunch as well. I think Georgia State, he missed a bunch. And yeah, I mean, the the thing is, if it it happens in close games like that, then it's not random. You know something's affecting him because he doesn't seem to be missing a lot in the regular game. So that's, uh, I don't know. I mean, because like Trey, Trey, like he'll be, he'll be money, like 80% of games. And then he'll just have a game where he just can't hit any. It has nothing to do with, like, who they're against or whether the game's closed. He'll just, like, have one of those random games or even just a period of the game. And that, like, that I, I have no idea how to explain because yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I wanted to ask you a question about, about Trey. Um, I, don't know about, I don't know about you, but I missed the very beginning of the game because, uh, because the other game, uh, the game that was on prior, went into it. So I didn't actually see uh, the first two minutes of the game. And, um, but I was following along, and it looked like Trey hit two quick threes. Um, and 
I don't know if you I, I wanted to ask you, did did it seem like he was like, all right, there no, no more of this slow start garbage. We are going we're getting up to a fast start and I'm gonna see to it. Is that what it looked like to you? Well, that's actually uh it's actually good. I was right. I was right about to start getting into that. So that's that's a great kind of uh, transition. But even even before that, I'm going to use another thing you said about uh, getting off to a quick start. And here we go. So Cassius made a quote after the game, which is just I, I find I find it amazing to see some of these quotes. I, I I will give a one sentence response after this, and that's all it really <laughs> needs. All right. This is the only way it could have been, or we could have done it. I feel like anything else, it would have been good, but the way we won today was the way we needed to redeem ourselves. It was just one of those days where it's just like, there's not going to be another option. There's not going to be a slow start. It's not going to be that we miss our shots. It's going to be we make our shots, we start out great, and that's the only way. That's the only way Coach wanted it to be, and that's the only way we wanted it to be. Hmm. So I would say Cassius just blinked twice. If, uh, if your life is in danger, if you've been abducted or something, because that's nuts. Like, dude, speak as a human being. Don't speak like that. That's crazy. And obviously I say that with love because I know he's just basically – it's all a representation of, yeah, we just we, – we're not going to come out slow again. But that's – dude, that, 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 that's a little much. So that's all I have to say about that. All right. Plays of the game. First thing you said was try so Trey started off with two catch-and-shoot threes in the first 70 seconds of the game. Catch-and-shoot is exactly what it means is, uh, yeah, it's, it's somebody passes out to him, no dribble, catch-and-shoot. He hadn't made a catch-and-shoot jumper in seven games. The last, one, the last one he made was versus Pitt, and he's only made 12 all season, I think three of which came against Georgia State. So two catch-and-shoot threes in the first 70 seconds after getting blown out, when that's not something he rarely shoots and he even more rarely makes. So, you know what? There is something about him, and I don't know how much to make of certain variables like this, but I have mentioned in games when it's really close, it's really tight, it's intense, like right at the start of the second half, he's gotten a bunch of steals, like right at the start of halves that really sets the tone. I think he did that against Georgetown. He did it against Stephen F. Austin. Unfortunately, he missed the free throws after doing it, so it didn't quite help. But at the same time, he and I, against North Carolina, I think he did it twice. He did. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, to, like some guys, like if it's on offense, if you're scoring, I mean, that's something it's like, yeah, impose your will, show them how it's done. But to actually get a steal, like that's crazy. I don't know how, but some guys just have it. And I don't know what it is, but Trey – he has whatever that it is. Yeah, I, I mean, something like that could be related, and it could sound crazy, probably does, but at the same time, when, when somebody hasn't made that type of shot really in seven games, like I said, and rarely even more all season, and then after Duke got blown out and they when they really need to make a statement response, that's how you start out? Hell yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's like so, someone who might not be the most natural leader, even though I want to make sure I'm not saying he's not a good leader or not a leader in the first place. Trey's a great leader, but he's not the most vocal. I think he's adapting. He could become one. I just don't think it's 100% natural. But yeah, when you do this, when you start out that way, that sends a message to the team and they will follow. You want your leader to set the tone. Trey, 
that's setting the tone. Just doing something you never do and show them, show them how, you know what, guys? It's going to be different. 13 minutes into the game. I mean, I'm sorry. Seven minutes into the game at 13 minutes. Trey posts up and draws the foul. I don't think – the last time I can remember Trey posting up was honestly I – might, I, might I might be forgetting something. I think against Colorado State when uh, he scored on an entry from Alex O'Connell and, and, uh, and drew the foul. Like this is not someone that posts up. So you got two catch-and-shoot threes and then, and then another one at 13 minutes where he does something else different. It's just about sending a message to everyone. You know what? We're just going to do whatever it takes. Like this is back to that blue collar mentality of the team of just don't worry about how it looks to other people. We're just gonna we're just gonna get down dirty and just find a way to win, and that's that's how it's gonna be done. So yeah, it's a great point you made about Trey. Really, with those two early shots, I do think it sent a message. Yeah, I don't know if it was necessarily exactly what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think that message got sent loud and clear. You know, it's interesting though, like. And this is this is uh, this is this isn't quite relevant because you know it happened. He did it. He did it. It's great. I think I think it's fair to say that when Trey puts up a three, you you don't quite feel as comfortable as you do as say when Reddick did it. Obviously, um, you're hoping. And and he's been definitely better this year than 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 last year. But we wouldn't call him a you know a three point maestro by any stretch. Um, but uh, but he's better, and I like and I don't and I like him shooting the shot, and I like him having the nerve to take any shot. The guy is a winner; you can t- just tell. But you know, he clangs those threes at the very beginning, and they lead to fast breaks for Virginia Tech. All of a sudden, the rhetoric is, "Wow, Duke's off to another slow start, right?" So we just have to consider ourselves fortunate that he set the tone the way he did. Um, I love that kid. I love that kid. I really do. I mean, yeah, there's a risk to everything, and. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of him shooting threes, I think the thing I found most interesting is not just the fact that they were threes. He shoots threes. It's the fact that they were catch and shoot, which is yeah. very different. And that's kind of the point guard role that kind of Kay has stuck some of the young guys in, which haven't hasn't worked out well because for a point guard who grows up not really shooting a lot of catch and shoot threes, it's not their role. The ball is in their hands. And then then guys like Derek Thornton and um, – and Trevon DeVal, who aren't even really solid perimeter shooters anyway, that's the role they're given. So, yeah, it's not surprising that there was there was that kind of troubles on the horizon with them. So, yeah, Trey, when he shoots those shots, it's great that they can go in. And, yeah, he's totally reformed his uh, jumper. It's, it's great. And I, I've mentioned how his stop and pop threes, like he made a couple against State. I mean, that was really one of the only few bright spots against State. It, it gives him a lift. It's almost like I used to talk about how Cam Reddish, whenever he would make a three uh, last season, you could just feel the energy. Mm-hmm. It's like a lightning bolt in the stadium because everyone just wanted him to succeed so bad. I mean, oh, he's, yeah. a, he's a kid that you could tell whatever you thought of him basketball-wise, like everyone around him, they liked him. That They really wanted him to succeed. It wasn't anything having to do – I mean, he struggled. I mean, bottom line, he struggled. The talent is there, and it's, it's kind of amazing the way Atlanta's – just they keep putting him in there, giving him big minutes, and he's actually starting. He's starting to, to play now, play better. Which I mean, after like fifty games of getting like constant minutes and not doing well as a rookie after you didn't do well at school for a year, like it's kind of amazing just the confidence people have in him. But that's me not being having been literally around him. I think he obviously something about him. 
I mean, obviously he has the talent, but I don't want this to be a whole camera thing. But, sure. it, but anyway, it's great to see him starting to hopefully uh, come, come together and put it together in Atlanta. Okay, so I wanted to talking. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going through uh, some of the plays that stuck out to me. And, uh, yeah, after, uh, so I mentioned the Trey, those three plays. I mean, there was the two catch-and-shoot threes and the post-up to early on. Another one that really stuck out to me was, whew, memories of Zion. Wendell Moore goes all Zion-like with a crazy closeout on Naheem Aline's corner three. Gorgeous. I mean, that, I think that was uh, with 5.02 left in the first half. That was nuts. I mean, just to... The way it happened, obviously he's not – he doesn't move like Zion. It didn't look as uh, kind of picturesque as Zion. But at the same time, damn it, that didn't uh, bring back some memories right there. And Wendell, man, he, uh, he, he still has times where he has uh, moments of weakness on ball. But in terms of off ball and in terms of switching, in terms of closeouts – I mean, the dude is just, he is a Swiss Army knife, and he is just so vital to have out there. I agree. Uh, Duke is a better team when he's on the floor. That was a beautiful, beautiful block, and uh, and it's good. I, You know, you, you talked about Trey's catch-and-shoot threes. One of those came off of a really nice pass from Wendell Moore um, at, at the very beginning of the game. Uh, Wendell has, uh, has struggled a bit offensively since North Carolina. But uh, his minutes aren't slipping because of how much he gives you in all aspects of the game. Uh, team's better when he's there. There's no doubt about it. Two plays from Jordan Goldwire. Mm. His, uh, at 256, his offensive rebound bucket, like, dude, that's a man's <laughs> offensive rebound bucket. Like, Goldwire, his physicality, that that's the thing. Like, I mean, Trey gained a lot of muscle over the summer. Goldwire did as well, man. Like, he is... He's just a completely reworked player from last season, not just in his shooting, but also just in his physicality. When he's dribbling around, he kind of it doesn't seem that way, but then he'll go inside and just guys will bounce off him. Or even at 14:31, he drives in, takes the bump, scores, and the foul missed the free throw. But at the same time, that's not not just I mean, that's something you wouldn't even think that he would even attempt last season, and it just shows the growing confidence. And how I've said that, like, I should probably amend my statement. I've said that if he w- if he went to a mid-major school, he wouldn't be a good point guard. He'd be a great point guard. I'm not sure if that's just related to mid-major. Because you know who he reminds me of? Who's that? Aaron Kraft. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I, I know it's illegal to make the, the black black player, white player comparisons, and no. uh, ho- hopefully I won't be arrested for that. I'll but at the it. same time, man, there are some serious, serious similarities between those two, and I couldn't mean that as more of a compliment. Mm-hmm. I mean, those, those, those dudes are dogs, and they are just guys that are winners. I mean, bottom line, I mean, that's a, that can be one of those cliches. Like, what does that mean? It means exactly what you see when you watch Darren Kraft at Ohio State. It's exactly what you see when you watch Jordan Goldwire at Duke right now. And as a Towson graduate, I still will never forgive him for not going <laughs> I can't believe he chose Duke over Towson. That makes I no know. sense. How could that possibly I know. Happen? I know. I know. It's crazy. You know, I was I was looking at Goldwire's uh, – I was looking at his the previous games uh, of his, and, you know, it all seemed to start – Right after the Stephen F. Austin game, uh, he was playing his limited bench minutes. Um, and then when Duke took that loss, uh, all of a sudden against Winthrop, uh, he started to he, his minutes started to climb. 
And that was a long time ago. I mean, that was we're talking back in November. He has been a really steady, steady, steady player now in the rotation now since that Stephen F. Austin loss. I mean, we're talking about 35 minutes, 34 minutes, 35 minutes. I'm looking down the line, 37 minutes against Georgia Tech. And um, yeah, I mean, Kay really did something with this guy. Maybe it's, I'll give it. I'll give it to Nate James again. I'm sure it's probably uh, John Shire in this one, but but uh, since Nate James is your coach, I'm going to give Nate James all the credit on Goldwire's uh, resurgence. You know what? That that could be true. At the same time, I'm giving I'm giving credit to Goldwire. I mean, I, I think he's worked his ass off, and he has put himself in the position where he's earned the coach's trust. Whatever coaches it is, I would believe all of them. <laughs> and I mean, I still I still want there to be kind of room for error in terms of I don't want him to be assumed to be on the court all the time because we talk about how oh if hurt if he plays. So, I mean, when you're trying to fit everyone together, somebody's going to have to be off, whether it be Cassius, Wendell, Wendell or um, Goldwire. Like, all three of them can't play together if Hurts on the court. There, there's going to have to be decisions at certain times. So it's just going to be interesting to see how it works. And that's why, I mean, there will be some games. I mean, that's why my main lineup would have Wendell, but I always made sure to say there will be matchups when Hurt is better. And uh, if, if Goldwire, if he's out um, for another option, but that doesn't mean he should always be out. I mean, that's the thing about this team. Figure out what game, what matchups work best, and not just the game, not just the opponent, but actual periods in the game. Because if you just think this is what works against this team, I don't think that's the way to do it. I think you have to adapt within the game, and I think that's what K has has improved on over this season in terms of when when they had some of those early losses like against Stephen F. Austin or even Georgetown, which they won. If you look at the second half, there was like five dudes with like a six guy playing like a couple minutes. So even though they had all these guys, he still, he even mentioned at the beginning of the season, I've said this a bunch, how like he needs everyone to kind of work with him, not teach him, but kind of help him because he's not used to all this mm-hmm. su- uh, substituting and rotating. He, he has to kind of, it's, it's a team effort to help him get better at it. So, and that's something I feel like he has. The, all the decisions haven't been 100%. I would agree with every game. But the bottom line, he's not just letting the lineups become as stagnant as I worried about because those that Georgetown game, the uh, Stephen F. Austin game, and even some, some of the later games, like Louisville. Like, I think at this point, I would like to think that even if it's uh, a tight game down the stretch, I would think he would still allow himself to make a substitution when necessary. I do still worry, though, because in the history with Duke under K, that is the thing that he's more consistent with. If you're going to kind of harp on something which may be an issue, he will he will kind of just stick with that one lineup. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can work. Sometimes that can be great. But with this specific team, I don't know. I would say you got to keep it fluid. Agreed. So now we get to two plays from Hurt. You already mentioned the, uh, the, the tip, steal, and coast-to-coast with the foul. I mean, that, that was really impressive. And that's when his length really, really helps. The way he actually he dribbled down, took it all the way in, I mean, that, that looked like a pro right there. I mean, he, I, no one really stopped ball. I'm sure uh, Mike Young wasn't thrilled about that. But at the same time, the fluid way he, he went down there, it's just confident. He, he wasn't overthinking. He was just letting his talent do what it does. And, and just also getting that steal in the first place 
reacting to it. I mean, it's just something where uh, at, at this point you're hoping that uh, that everyone would be able to feel comfortable enough to kind of take a risk. But at the same time, the risk isn't always the best move. Cough, cough, Alex O'Connell on defense. <laughs> so yeah. hurt, it's about when to take that risk. The next play after uh, – all right, so at 15-08 – Goldwire didn't give him the ball, and that that was, that was a bad move. Uh, Hurt gets a great post pin, perfect position, doesn't get the ball. That's okay. Comes back out, gets it above the break, then just goes behind the back and straight works to Landers Nolly, scores at the rim. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, woo, this guy's feeling it. He is feeling it a little bit too much, as I'll mention in, in the next subject. All right, so of course, after setting up the subject for Matthew Hurt, I, of course, forgot to include it. So I'm adding this in to say that Matthew Hurt had the doing-too-much play of the game. The ultimate, judge me if you want, please do, the YOLO play of the game, which occurred at 6.54 of the first half from the blob baseline out-of-bounds play. And all I can say is watching it, what I thought of is Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in a long came poly just screaming out, raindrops, as he released the shot. And I could watch this thing on a loop. So, watch, enjoy, you're welcome. Um, All right, so to finish it off in terms of great plays that stood out, obviously, Alex O'Connell goes (laughs) right past the lane on the baseline and then yams on, uh, I'm sorry, Ojiako, I had to to make sure I uh, pronounced that right. (laughs) O'Connell, I've said before, with him and Joey Baker, I wish I I had endless confidence in anything in life the way they do in basketball (laughs) and... It's all. It's awesome. They like, they never get down on themselves, especially O'Connell. Oh, and yeah. man, like no matter what, that dude will just come in firing. And like he will not. You know, the one thing you don't have to worry about is him being worried about anything. I still like. It, it's funny to mention like when Trey when he missed the free throw against UNC and got the rebound. Like as soon as he touched the ball, you could see in the background O'Connell has his hands up. Like mm-hmm. dude, he's not going to give you the ball. Like. Like, so, that's right. At the same time, like that's O'Connell, and you gotta mm-hmm. love it. I do love it, and I feel like he's attempted that dunk about 400 times this season, and uh, and um, and I'm really glad that he he got it he got it to throw down and, and look as emphatically. I, I wonder I wonder to myself sometimes if but Baker is still thinking about his missed dunk against UNC and whether or not uh, whether or not he's going to exercise that demon in an upcoming game as well. That, I don't know what you're talking about. That never occurred. All right, so <laughs> under the radar. Javin's rotations on defense just stays, stays consistent, stays impressive, stays communicating with his teammates. And that's just something where, I mean, when, when, when Hurt and when, uh, when Vern gets switched on to guys who can really make plays, I mean, against Virginia Tech, that's, that's an issue you're going to have to deal with. Javin, you don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. His footwork is never the problem. What make, could make you pull your hair out is when Javin – I mean, there's there's plays when he just moves his feet so well, and then he'll just reach in and get called for a foul. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, your footwork is perfect, and then you just kind of reach in. I don't know. But, uh, like, either way, he played a great game. He did. Another under the radar at, I think it was like 11.20 or 11.15, something like that. The way Wendell more nonchalantly tracks his man um, through a bunch formation where, where they set a bunch of screens, and he just kind of casually walks through like it's nothing – I mean, it's just instincts right there, and eventually that's the same play, if, any, if anyone remembers. If, if anyone goes back to look at it, the play ends with basically, uh, I think, Hurt blocks Beatty, if it was Beatty, at the free throw line. 
or Bede. Um, mm-hmm. How do I not know how to pronounce it? Either way, um, not no disrespect to him, but yeah, Hurt gets the block, the free throw, and actually Wendell Moore gets out on the break and gets fouled, makes two free throws on the break. But it's at the start of that play when Virginia Tech's in a bunch formation where they set a bunch of screens, and he just he has that natural instinct of kind of it's almost like I've said before he stalks his his uh, the guy he's defending. I love it. There's a there's a there's an element of focus to him. I, you know, you, you, you see that on you see that on his face. Uh, he stock is the perfect word, um, uh, and he and he's like hungry for it too. I mean, and he doesn't like I mentioned earlier. I didn't mean I'm not I'm not down on the kid because he's he struggled a little bit offensively lately. I'm praising the kid that in spite of the fact that he has struggled offensively. He never, never isn't stalking on defense. He's he, he's 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 really something to watch in that regard on the defensive end. Okay, so I kind of lovingly make make, make uh, jokes about Alex O'Connell's defense. So you know what, fourteen twenty one, he gets the steal, but that's not really what was so what was the most impressive thing to me. It was actually a few seconds before that that I found more impressive when he switched and communicated really well, which actually set it up. And I'm not sure Virginia Tech even thought that he would do that. Maybe that's why there was a bit of a lazy pass back up above the break, and that's when he picked it off. That's what he needs. It's it's, Alex O'Connell, it's not about his skill. It's not about his ability in any way. It's just he loses awareness, and and that's it. It's just that random, like, Half a second for every possession, he'll just lose awareness and he'll lose his man straight up. So he, if as long as he stays locked in, there's never been an issue with his skill or ability. It's just keeping mentally locked in. So that's what I really like that at uh, that 421 play. It's not the steal, but what happened actually before it. I mentioned before, Hurts off ball defense. I mean, and plus. There was actually one play when uh, Landers Nolly what, did try to be a little bit physical with him. It's 7:45. Besides that, I thought Landers Nolly didn't really uh, go against Hurt optimally um, for offense against Hurt's defense. But at the same time, Hurt handled himself well, and the all and the off-ball stuff, the help, I, I thought he was really good that way. Other mm-hmm. wrinkles. Uh, using Wendell Moore with Vern in the elevated horns like Hurts typically used. So, I mean, if you're going to have Wendell Moore at the four, might as well use him like Hurts typically used, and that could add another element in terms of playmaking. So I like seeing that. I mean, it's just different. Dukes, they rarely do anything different. So, I mean, it's stuff like this which, like, gets me irrationally excited because it's so rare that anything like that actually happens. And uh, another thing, using Vern at the high post hasn't happened nearly enough this season. At the high post, allowing him to make plays because they were they were really um, surrounding him down low. Usually, they they had someone down low, kind of like NC State. The way Vern, if he can get the ball at that high post, and you can trust him to make plays, which I believe you can. They won't always go perfectly, but if you give him more uh, opportunities, in the same way, I wished like Wendell Carter. Guys like that would have had more opportunities, especially with, I mean, it's not like a huge difference from past years, but there is with the three-point line being moved back. There is more spacing, so mm-hmm. that that could help as well. And I think it's just allowing him to grow as a player. Guess what? Ver, uh, Vernon Carey, I mean, as the story goes, which has been told a million times, 
He didn't play in the post until this year. He played outside. So if you give him more chances at the high post, that's not something that's foreign to him in terms of making a play off the bounce. That's something where it's it's not like, ooh, can he do this? I'm sure he's, he's shown that ability many times in high school, obviously not at the level he's playing it now, but I don't think it should have even taken this long for him to have more chances. He honestly should be used much more in the short roll. That's something they haven't even, I don't know, maybe they have thought of, but at the same time, I think there's just different ways to go about how they can use him. So it's good to see him at the high post. I, I think you're right. And like I said, I think that was a, uh, that was one of the big differences between this first Virginia or the second Virginia tech game and the first one. Uh, he did not go to the high post in the first, in the first game to my knowledge uh, at all. And um, I do think this is something that they're going to go do going forward. And um, you're right with more out there with him uh, from time to time um, at the elbows, they were, um, it, it was it was really interesting to see. It was like it was like the, the four guard lineup for Virginia Tech was really had to, they were the ones who had to make the adjustments. It seemed it didn't really seem like Duke needed to adjust to them. And when you're in that situation, that means you're in control. And when you're in control, good things happen. Earlier in the season, I did think they did that they did the horn sets a lot from the elbows. One thing that's actually different about the way Duke does it, there should be a lot more things different. I think there's ways to work off of the horn sets, but they do elevate it. They do Mm -hmm. elevate to it at the three-point line, sometimes beyond the three-point line. So that does help. It gives Trey a little more spacing in how he uses it, although sometimes it actually could help also more to do it at the elbows, as you mentioned, and maybe use the the dribble handoff a little bit, especially with Hurt. Uh, One thing I, I I didn't have in mind, but I also letting Hurt actually be the guy to initiate a little more offense, not initiate in terms of like dribble drive and all that stuff, but when you're when you're working with the horn sets, just a little pass over the top to hurt and then let him make a decision. Almost like if you remember back against uh, Northwest Missouri State, that was our introduction to Matthew Hurt, the fact that he could be, as he liked to call himself, a nightmare mismatch. And they haven't used it against many teams because, let's be honest, there aren't many teams who combine the the fact that the the opponent was not just a bit smaller but also not as physical so yes it made it easier for her to impose his will but at this point with him being a little more comfortable perhaps you could at least try him out in the in that way more often and hopefully the way i've seen it a little bit more is a sign of things to come because if you never try things with people you never know it's still even as late as it is this year there's still about, it's about playing for the ceiling and why just settle for what works? Why not see what can make you better? And I think hurt making plays from from the high post, from the elbow, even uh, from uh, above the break. I think that's something. You know what? Let's let's see if it works. I, because if it doesn't, then you can just keep on doing what you're doing. I don't think it's too much of a risk. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. Most frustrating aspect of the game or aspects, two of them. Well, first I'll say, stop dumping it into Javin and expecting good things to happen without <laughs> immediate action being created around him. Like, if you're if you're dumping it into him for, for him to make a play and for the defense to be distracted, for a lot going on around him, for cuts to be going on, absolutely. But if you're literally dumping it into Javin for him to make a play at the post, like, what do you th- like what, what is the goal here? Yeah. Like, I love Javin, but that's not going to work. So stop doing it. And that's all I have to say about that. Um, so the bigger frustrating aspect of this game is honestly just Vern not getting rewarded for his passing. I mean, his ah. passing, as I, I like early in the season, 
I said, like, dude, he just – it doesn't look natural. It doesn't look like he's comfortable. And it got a little better. But at the same time, still, at the, about the turn of the calendar year, it was still a lot more kind of, I don't know what's going on here. It just doesn't look like he's seeing things. And then about a month ago, I started to say, like, it's starting to get better. And each podcast since then, I was like, it's getting better than the last time. And it's mm-hmm. getting better than the last time. And at this point – like, he's rifling passes to guys. He is just – he's making really spectacular passes out of the post. I think what helps a lot with that also is the fact that he's being more aware of what's going on around him, which allows him to see where the doubles are coming from. If you don't know where the doubles are coming from, the last thing you're going to be thinking about is where to pass, how to pass, and all that stuff. You're just going to be thinking about, like, I don't want to get stolen. Like, I just want to make a quick move and kind of get it out of my hands. But Vern, now that he's comfortable, or at least uh, seemingly that way, he's making quick decisions. He's making accurate passes, and guys are breaking them, and it makes and it annoys me. It, it annoys me too. I have to. I want to ask you one thing about Vernon. Uh, his he, he, you know, he came to Duke, and he was, you know, he's 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 projected to be a first round pick. Always has been one of the top players in his class, um, and uh, his improvement. Over the year, I, I have found to be astounding for someone who is already at such a stature. Uh, I'm not comparing his ability or his talent to Zion's, but when Zion came to Duke, it was pretty ridiculous from the get-go. And I'm not necessarily sure how much Zion improved throughout the year. I know he did, but he was he, he was a superstar from the Kentucky game onward. Whereas with with Carrie, I was like, all right, this guy's good, and I just see him getting better and better and better. Is that how you see it? I think the thing that frustrated me with Zion is I remember against Gonzaga how excited I was when they when they uh, when they used uh, Zion in the post a couple times. I think like Michigan State was like the next time they tried or maybe like uh, UCF at, at certain times, but either way, it wasn't much. <laughs> and I don't think they really developed his skills enough. And it's hard to develop anyone's skills in a year. I think that's a little overblown in terms of some of these one and dones. Like, how much did uh, you develop someone? You don't want to mess with someone in season. What Kay worked with, or whoever worked with, with Vern in the summertime, man, props to them. Mm. And props to Vern, again, because, I mean, he's the one doing the work. And I think now it's about just getting adjusted to who you're going against. But before that, it was about all the technique and all that. And I think that was great. But yeah, I mean, if he really, it's still hard for me to believe, but I don't, I don't know. I didn't see him in high school. If he really didn't play in the post, I mean, this is, this is a pretty big achievement at the same time. I have mentioned how he hasn't played against many bigs that really can give him a physical, I don't know, a physical equal. But I, I want to give him credit because there, he's gone against uh, a few shot blockers recently. Uh, was it Terrell Brown? Thunderbird. Uh, Durham from Notre Dame. And uh, for NC State, what's his name? Um, sort of the B. Yeah, um, sorry. Yeah, he's, he's the number one shot blocker in the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many Bates, many Bates. He's the number one shot blocker in the country by a wide margin. His block rate is, I think, 16%. The next closest is like 10%. It's mm-hmm. like not even close. Oh, well, these guys, I mean, they're getting in foul trouble. That's that bad on them. Like, I wish he could get a fair fight. Guess what? He's getting them in foul trouble. It's mm-hmm. not like they're just saying, I don't want to be here anymore. So, yeah, give him credit for that. So, yeah, he's doing – I think it absolutely is crazy impressive. I, I, I don't know. I, bottom line, Duke's lucky to have him. 
Oh my gosh, I'm so happy that he's there. I have a I have a point of frustration. Um, it's with it's with uh it's with Jack White. Um, Jack White played a season low three minutes uh, yesterday against Virginia Tech, and in a game where there was a lot of garbage time. Um, I wanted to ask you. I mean, is are, I was are these games just you know you know with the, with the, such a small lineup that Virginia Tech had, uh, probably wouldn't be uh, the easiest game for Jack White to succeed in. Do you think it's that, or do you think he has just uh, fallen to the bottom of the rotation? Um, first game against Virginia Tech, he played the four. So, or he might actually, you know what? I think he played he played the five because that was the first game where Wendell played the four the majority of the time, and I, that's what I kind of wanted him to go. And I, I I still wasn't sure if that was based more on the Virginia Tech specific matchup they were going against, or whether Kay believed that Wendell could have a future at the four. I mean, the results. Uh, kind of right after that, seemed to show that it was more based on the matchup, even though that I believed he was more, he could not just play the four, but be absolutely successful and be the guy for Duke at the four, like he is at least at times now, splitting with Hurt. Um, yeah, well, Jack White played the five against Virginia Tech, so he proved then he could be a great matchup. The thing with him is that I'm not sure what he does better than Wendell at this point. I think right. they are the same type of player it's just Wendell is a lot better and provides a higher ceiling and especially if you're going to have other guys that can provide the equal defense Jack White what he's done the last two years in terms of early on in the seasons will never ever get enough credit I've tried to really emphasize it as much as possible not just while it's happening but uh like after it's already done and then after the season's over because it happened, the same thing happened last year. If you remember Texas Tech, I mean, Jack White was the player of the game at, at Madison Square Garden against Texas Tech. He is the reason Duke won that game. The thing is, when you have a bunch of freshmen, when you have the majority freshmen, and especially when you're working with a lot of young bigs, the front line, communication is so vital, so vital. So that's when Jack White, with his ability to just always be trusted, oh, you know he's going to always be in the right place, and he's helping kind of coach the uh, the other guys on the court and helping them be in the right place. At, unfortunately, at this point in the season, he's done a great job, and props to him. But you know what? That also means it means he's done such a good job at helping them out that they've kind of – they play over him now. Yeah. And he, uh, they don't – Not. I mean, they would play over him anyway based on talent, but I'm talking about, like, the majority of the time. Right. Like, like he's not necessary, which mm-hmm. feels like an insult, and I don't mean it that way, because I think there will – there could still be times when what he provides is super vital. But this, and what he did early in the season, not just this year, but last year, can never, ever get the proper credit it, it deserves. But – this point there are there I, i'm not quite sure what matchups where i'd say oh jack should definitely be in there instead of wendell but maybe but don't 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 count that dude out man i mean he's he's talented he'll do whatever it takes but at the same i do think he understands kind of what's going on at this point i mean when you talk about someone just does whatever it takes for the team he knew that he was helping kind of coach be a coach on the floor with, with the team knowing that the better he did as a coach the less chance there would be that he would play later in the season. And that's that's something that deserves the ultimate respect. Yeah. yeah. Well, well said. 
Like uh, one thing that you mentioned first, uh, did a great job of Wendell Morris since he scored 17 against UNC. He's only, he's totaled 13 in the following four games. He's had six, he had six offensive rebounds against UNC, including the game winner. Since then, he grabbed one the next game against FSU in uh, zero in the next three. And my summary of uh, is uh, sports are funny. Yeah. So that that that's basically how how I would sum that up. Yeah. Well, like I said, I I think it's a I think it's a credit to him that it hasn't really affect it hasn't affected his defense because a lot of times when somebody gets frustrated on the offensive offensive end, it can carry over to the other end. That does not happen with Moore. He's a he's 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 a that, that's 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 a remarkable trait in a freshman, I think. All right, fifty point halves. <laughs> so there there was they've had two fifty seven point halves. Central Arkansas first half, Syracuse second half. There was a 52-point Notre Dame second half. And then Virginia Tech fits in there with the first half. And then there was also Miami first half. So they have had one, two, three, four. They have had five 50-point halves. Virginia Tech fits in at number four. And on defense, they did give up a 52-point second half to Cuse. Cuse was weird because it was just both teams were just shooting free throws. I think I zoned out in that game eventually because it was such a good game, and then they just started shooting free throws nonstop in the second half. And it wasn't like they were earning the free throws. It was just a foul fest. And that game is like kind of what I refer to as a stat skewer because mm-hmm. like both teams were just living at the line for no reason. But anyway, yeah. um, so uh, 30 point quarters. There was uh, Central Arkansas second quarter, Pitt second quarter, Syracuse fourth quarter, Notre Dame third quarter. And when I say quarters, I forgot to say, like, um, Ken Palm separates the basketball, yeah. each game by quarters, the way basketball should be, fight me. I... Yeah, that, that's, how, that's how I'm doing it. It's basically, it's the first 10 minutes mm-hmm. of the game. Yeah, so they had uh, two 30-point second quarters, 30-point fourth quarter, and a third quarter. And we're talking about how, hey, Duke, they, they're getting off to these slow starts recently a lot of times. So what happened? They get that missing quarter. Virginia Tech, a 32-point first quarter. That's the way to start it out. Very nice. Yeah, indeed. And um, and again, uh, credit to Trey on uh, on getting things uh, started off correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So just a couple differences. Obviously, different teams, but offensive rebounds only gave up three in, in this half court. Three, one of two field goals, only four points. Big difference between State, 13 points on five of seven field goals versus State. Mm. On cuts on defense, three possessions, two points, one of two field goals. Against State, seven points on three of six. Handoff, something I talked about, State was using almost as a pick-and-roll situation. Three possessions, three points, uh, one of three field goals against Virginia Tech. Eight points on four of seven versus State. And you know what? It's not because Virginia Tech didn't try. They scouted. Mike Young scouted NC State, and there was a lot of times, I think on the first possession, actually, uh, Virginia Tech tried to do uh, tried to work the uh, dribble handoff as a pick and roll. And I believe, don't quote me on this, uh, it was Wendell who uh, was in the right place. And, yeah, so it just, go, it just goes to show Duke, when they're communicating, when they're switching, and when everyone's working together kind of symbiotically, their defense is what is going to carry them as much as we talk about their offense, which is fun. It's easier to kind of kind of calculate from game to game in terms of both stats and just what is more fun to watch. But at the same time, this team, they're going to live and die on their defense. Uh, Virginia Tech, they score a big percentage of their points from deep and allow a large percentage as well. So it really wasn't too surprising that Duke scored a bunch from deep. It was about the percentage Virginia Tech allows, but the Hokies were actually ranked uh, 
number 30 in the country coming in in fewest percentage of opponent points scored from free throws. Hmm. And Duke scored 26% of its points from the line, which is 11% higher than Virginia Tech allows on average. I will qualify that by saying a lot of them were in the second half. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, but, uh, all right, so I've, I've mentioned how uh, Duke's great three-point defense, and especially its three-point rate, which is the percentage of field goals, which are three-pointers. Uh, Virginia Tech's identity is from deep, and two of its lowest three-point rates of the season. Of its uh, lowest three-point rates, two of them have come in the two games against Duke, which is especially impressive when you consider they were just jacking in the second half because that's what happens in garbage time. So against a team, that's their identity. They shoot threes. They spread you out, and they shoot threes. And, and even in a, in a complete blowout where they're shooting 14 in the second half, I mean, this is like Duke. There might be some random games where, like, I mean, NC State and Louisville, Clemson in the first half. Like, there's some random games where guys just, like, hit a weirdly high percentage. But at the same time, they're not shooting a lot of them because Duke won't allow that. Like, the closeouts are fantastic. The switches are fantastic. And that's so impressive with a team that has guys this young. It's not, it doesn't always happen like that. It rarely happens like that with, uh, with, with a team that has a bunch of freshmen. Yeah, that's true. And with Lander, Lander's Nolly, who, who is either leading the league in scoring or is second, um, second in the league in scoring, uh, he's, he, he gets to the free throw line. That's what he does. As he, he, gets, he, get, he gets there uh, probably five or six times a game. And I believe against, against Miami, which is who they played uh, immediately before Duke, he got to the line ten times. He didn't get to the line at all uh, against Duke. And, uh, and uh, I think that was a testament to, that, the, to, the, to the switching and um, – and you know, just basically to uh, to a level of alertness, uh, when Wendell Moore was on Nolly a few times, uh, Nolly did not know what to do. It, it, it was a beautiful thing to see. And like I said, you, like you said correctly, he didn't quite know what to do with Hurt. It looked like he probably, uh, with a few more minutes, could have could have probably could have done more. But uh, but the fact is, he didn't, and he didn't get to the line. And it's uh, it's one of the reasons that. Uh, that uh, we uh, we held Nolly in check with such ease. Yeah, I mean, Hurts six, uh, listed six nine, Nolly six seven. Mm-hmm. Looked like a bigger difference than that because it looked like Hurt had plenty of height against Nolly. And uh, yeah, back to the first Virginia Tech game, Mike Young said like that was the difference in terms of Wendell guarding Nolly and frustrating him. Uh, Young said Nolly just he didn't do a good job handling it. There was a big play which Nolly. Uh, he elbowed more or something like that, picked up a flagrant, and it was based on his frustration. That's what Wendell's defense can do to you. So, right. Yeah, Wendell can have that effect. In the two games, Nolly got a total of 10 points and a total of two free throw attempts and made one of them. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, that, and that's uh, some, one of the things I'll close out with. Absolutely, that's right. This I'll, I'll kind of mention some stats now before we leave it because there, there is some definitive takeaways, especially coming after State. This is getting towards crunch time, so there's more to talk about besides just this game in terms of the ACC, what's going on with that, maybe a little bit of uh, what's going on with uh, NCAA tournament talk. All right, so I uh, on defense, here we go. Virginia Tech gave up the highest offensive rebound rate of the season, mm. the highest free throw rate of the season, and forced the fourth fewest turnovers of the season. The two highest offensive efficiencies the Hokies gave up in the ACC, both games against Duke. Mm. So, yeah, Duke's not a great matchup for them, and that's a credit for what Duke can do to adapt to whoever they're playing against. And I always talk about the uh, the bonus categories. 
where where you can get extra points, which occurs on free throws, three-point uh, three-pointers, transition, offensive rebounds, slash second chance. So how'd they get those? I mean, obviously a lot came on those uh, three-pointers. And then that 50% three, uh, free throw rate, 88% in the second half. Mm. Uh, forced turnovers and steals. And I'll give this with a qualifier of Virginia Tech's biggest strength probably being not turning the ball over. They're number four in the country and not turning the ball over, and especially not allowing live ball turnovers, steals. They're number one in the country. So when I say Duke's 11% defensive turnover rates is its lowest of the season, yeah, you have to recognize who you're playing against. But at the same time, uh, the turnover rate nationally, the average turnover rate is 19%. In the first six games, it was higher for Duke. And three of them were at MSG, where for some reason I never understand it. It's always like a slop fest when they play at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> when they play at Madison Square Garden, and it's just like both teams are just always turning it over. And then it was lower than that in four of the next five games. Then higher than that, doing a great job turning teams over in the next seven games, all above. And then in seven of the, of the, of the nine most recent games, it has been lower. And barely higher at UNC. So almost... Eight of the last nine. Then you get to the 5.5% steal rate against uh, Virginia Tech. Third lowest of the season, and context, NC State's second lowest. The national steal rate, national average, is 9.1%. So they only fell below 9.1 in two of the first 18 games. A lot of them, they were a lot higher than that. They were ranked number 10 in the country after Louisville with a 13% steal rate. It's 13.5% in the ACC. Last nine games, though, no. They're below the national average in seven of them. So that's something to like, it's that's why I'm bringing this up now because I really am interested to see and really hope it launches back up against Wake Forest because otherwise I'll be honest. It's I mentioned this last part. I'm a bit nervous. It's becoming exactly like last season, not to the same level of everything going on with this team and all the skill sets matching up, but just, it's really weird how the last kind of big, turnover game was against Louisville forcing a bunch of turnovers since then it just hasn't been the same this team well yeah they're they're they are they're really good at uh, offensive rebounds second chances once in a while they can hit threes I don't know it's just like you want for them to get at least easier opportunities and you want them to get energy which is boosted from steals especially the live ball turnovers and it hasn't been the case recently. Like what they did against Virginia Tech, it was really done mostly off of half court, not even a lot of second chance. One thing that they did a pretty good job on actually was pushing off of misses, which generally they haven't done a great job of this season. I mean, overall, there wasn't much transition, but there was enough. I mean, we talked about like Hurt with that steal. There was also uh, Cassius leaked out at another point and that uh, and Wendell Moore went, went to play where he got fouled on the break. So there was those, but at the same time, you want them to at least get easier points so it always doesn't have to be that struggle to score in half-court offense. All right, so offense. Oh, here's another issue. Offensive two-point field goal percentage. 44.4% uh, two-point percentage against Virginia Tech. Second lowest of the ACC season. Just beating out NC State. <laughs> hmm. the lowest overall. So the national average for two-point percentage is uh, 49.3. So I'm just going to, uh, when did Duke shoot over 50% from twos? Two of the first six games, 
Not good. But mm. 14 of the next 15. So, yeah, they're looking great. Then one of the last six games. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not giving this to try to create a narrative. I'm not quite sure what it means. But either way, I've said that, like, there's certain guys. I mean, there was, a, there was a long period of time when Vern, he just, he starts the ball low. So that makes it tough at times. Where, I mean, if you get stripped, that's not even a shot attempt. But usually, like, when, when he brings it back up, he may not be on target, which is, it's almost like uh, back in the day, whoever remembers, like Daryl Dawkins, I remember he used to, or maybe it was Moses Malone, but they used to, like, miss shots on purpose to boost their uh, offensive rebounding rate. I don't. I would say there's 0% chance Vern is doing that. But he's not guaranteed close to the rim. Another guy like that, uh, Cassius. When Cassius dunks, obviously it's good. But when Cassius doesn't have an opportunity to dunk, he's not the most reliable around the rim. So, yeah, there's, the Duke has not been a great team finishing at the rim when it's not dunks. So it's just something to keep in mind and see. Like, I always try to figure out these trends and see if they last and why they're going. But right now, yeah, there was the, the problem existed earlier in the year, and then, I, and then it seemed like it was fixed, but it is not. And if they can't get those... If they can't get it to go closer to the rim, then it's going to be a concern. And I mean, if it's not closer to the rim, you don't want them settling for those mid-range shots. So hopefully most of those are closer to the rim. That's something I can look into for another pop. Hmm. Bench points. We're talking about uh, getting double-digit bench points in both halves. Looking through. Let's see. There was uh, Central Arkansas, or I call them Carkansas, 31 hmm. and 24. No, no problems there. Uh, then there was Michigan State, 10 and 14. There was the first Virginia Tech game, 10 and 25. Wofford, 22 and 21. Uh, BC, 10 and 22. Miami, 11 and 14. Wake Forest, 17 and 11. Miami again, 14 and 13. Syracuse, 17 and 10. Uh, Florida State, 10 and 11. And Virginia Tech, 10 and 17. So, so Virginia Tech, they've done it both times. And it's good to see because if you look at some of these recent games, it's really weird. I mean, you look at – it's like every other game. You get Louisville. I'm sorry. People from Louisville hate me. Louisville. Um, <laughs> like zero in the first half, five in the second half from the bench. Not going to cut it. Pitt, eight in the first half, zero in the second half. No. BC, two in the first half, 17 in the second half. UNC, zero in the first half, 13 in the second half in overtime. You got uh, Notre Dame, zero in the first half, 31 in the second half. And NC State, eight in the first half, zero in the second half. You got to get something from the bench. Maybe there are times when they're contributing more than just scoring or other aspects than scoring, but especially in the second half. Like, I don't mind too much when it's the first half, um, which they go scoreless and then kind of boost up in the second. But either way, something's got to give this team a spark. And I, I keep saying how different players are required for different matchups. So you don't like seeing those really low numbers. You want you want it to be uh, you want it to be more consistently at least get somewhere around double digits each half. That would be nice to see. Who would your who would your who would your sixth, seventh, and eighth men for Duke at this moment in the season be for you to provide that spark off the bench? I mean, if, if you're saying the spark. It's different than just who would be the sixth man. But, I mean, I just think it, it, it does differ for each type of matchup. I mean, right now you would just say whoever is out between um, uh, Wendell Moore and Matthew Hurt, mm-hmm. like, wh- whichever one is out, then you would bring the other one in. 
besides that, it's it does seem like Alex O'Connell, whatever he actually <laughs> produces on the stat sheet, he brings energy. He sure does. That's one thing you can never deny. I, I still, I mean, I still believe in Baker. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Kay believes as much in him, but I, I do think that what he can provide is still something which could help Duke reach their ceiling in in a role that I'm not sure everyone has. But at the same time, reality is reality, and he's been struggling recently. Hopefully, he can get it together. But yeah, for the sixth man, it's it's pretty much just either went either Wendell or. Uh, Matthew Hurt, or actually my first choice would be Mike Buckmeyer. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that actually pretty much covers it. So, yeah. uh, all right, lo- looking at the ACC right now, Louisville is 14-3, Duke is 13-3, and Florida State is 13-3, and and Virginia is 11-5. And then there's kind of everyone's mashed together below that. How is it going to uh, play out between Louisville, Duke, and Florida State? <laughs> So let's first, uh, Duke's schedule, they are, wait, this isn't, yeah, it is Duke's schedule. All right, so they got Wake Forest, uh, at at Wake Forest, at Virginia, home against NC State, home against Carolina. Mm -hmm. You got Louisville, you got, uh, they are at Florida State tomorrow, for when this will actually be released, this podcast. You got Virginia Tech home, and Virginia away. Then you got Florida State. Louisville tomorrow. You got Clemson away, Notre Dame away, and Boston College at home. So you were telling me before we started, you think uh, Louisville has uh, the toughest road? Or did you say Florida State? I, can't I said I said Louisville has the toughest road. I um I mean they only have three games left, and I don't want to I don't want to depend upon uh, any any of these losses because I think Louisville has proved that there's as good, they're as good as anyone in this league. Um, but uh, Florida State's um, already beat. Florida State's already beaten them at Louisville, and they have to go to Virginia, and uh, it's a tough place to play. Um, Virginia and Virginia Tech, we know, can score with anyone. Uh, like you said, I think the best way to say, you know, Virginia Tech's run into some problems this year, but but um, but scoring is not one of them, and I think that it's not the easiest matchup for 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 Louisville. Um, now all. All this said, Louisville is also strong enough to win all three of these games and win this league outright, um, which, uh, which you know, kudos to them if they're able to do it. Um, Duke's schedule, however, um, scares me as a Duke fan. Um, but uh, I, I um, uh, the two road games, um, one at Wake, I'm not uh, on Tuesday night, um, doesn't concern me as much as the as the game at Virginia, but. Virginia's different this year. I know that they're the champs, but this is not the team that went that went to the uh, that went to the went to the dance last year. And I just don't think they can score with Duke. I'm sure they're going to play great, but I just don't think um, when all is said and done that they can put more points on the board than Duke can. And um, you know, I expect UNC's best game once again, uh, and uh, I expect it to be tough. Uh, senior night, emotions run high. Those games are always wonky, and. Um, and uh, you know uh, UNC UNC is not giving up. Uh, and then I'm you know Louisville and Virginia. They do have two guys that have just come in. And I don't know if you can say taken in uh, the conference by storm, but at least provided something which didn't exist before and have given those both those teams a huge boost. One 
I kind of – it was odd to me how people weren't – or not people. I hate to say people because that generalizes. But at least those I heard and what I read, they weren't really talking much about David Johnson before before the Duke game. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this dude, he's a beast. Mm-hmm. And then guess what? He was a beast. He was. And I think he's the one who boosts Louisville to not just a, a good team, not just a great team, but a national championship contender. Mm-hmm. If he can even hit – an outside shot, a perimeter shot once in a while, then it's just, it's tough to find their weaknesses. So I think he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on because, I mean, he hasn't been getting major minutes for long. He was, I think, literally just put into the starting lineup against Syracuse for the first time. So we're still kind of, you never know how these guys will deal with it. It wasn't a great game he played against Syracuse, but he's a guy that doesn't need to put up a bunch of huge stats to make a huge impact because he is kind of that definitive pass-first point guard, and he can make a huge impact with defense and passing just as much, if not more, than scoring. Right. So the guy for Virginia, it's interesting. I I mentioned him a bunch. I actually, I called him the X Factor for mm-hmm. Virginia in the conference preview way back. And then he just, he didn't exist. And I was like, what? Like, I guess that was just off. And that, uh, I remember in the preview, I was like, how do you know? I'm going to mispronounce his name a million times. And this is actually, I think, the first time I've mentioned his name since that uh, conference preview. So let's see. Tomas Wolden Tense. I mm-hmm. think that is how you pronounce it. I think that's so, very well said. Yeah. Um, so he was, as I said, like, I mean, when he got minutes, he didn't do much with him early on. I mean, he was known as a shooter, but he couldn't hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, once in a while, like, he would have a random game. But typically, he was kind of a weak link in all aspects. And then, against uh, Wake Forest on January 26th, scored 21, but then kind of dipped back off. And then against Louisville, that's actually when he just exploded. Uh, 27 points, 7 of 10 from deep. This is a dude, I mean, when you have Wake Forest... Then three games later, Louisville, both making seven threes in a game, seven of 14 against Wake, seven of 10 against Louisville, and then two games after that, he goes six of 10 against against North Carolina. I mean, this is a dude that, like, isn't just, like, a threat. He's, like, immediately one of the most lethal outside shooters, somebody for Virginia who just struggles, <laughs> obviously, mm-hmm. to score. I mean, he gives them a much he gives them an option they just didn't have and he gives them an ability to score points in the way they, they couldn't before and it's i mean i said like ty jerome when he when he didn't come back i thought that was a death blow with the way that uh with the way that uva develops their their lineups and and rotations because they just didn't have anyone who could really replace what he did yeah and and Woden Tensei, he doesn't replace what he did, but at least in terms of giving him another option to score, Virginia still won't have the ceiling they would have tied Jerome had, but it's a team that is nowhere near the uh, to the level they were about a month ago when people are, were legit wondering if they would make the NCAA tournament. Uh, that's true. That's true. And, you know, you know it was funny, uh, the, the, the previous game against Boston College – uh, actually, their last game was against Pitt, but their, the game before that was against Boston College. Um, Virginia won that game. I think the score was 78 to 65, and I remember seeing that score. I remember that score because I couldn't believe that Virginia scored 78 points ever in a not. I thought it was. I was like, how many overtimes did this game go into that they scored 78 points? And um, 78 to 65, and then 
you know, the last game against Pitt, we got back into the 50s, and I was like, oh, okay, everything, the, the, the world is, 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 is normal again. Um, but you're right. That guy, uh, that guy, I'm just going to call him Tomas. Uh, he is, uh, he, he can really, really light it up when he wants to. And, um, and I, I would certainly worry about him, but again, I don't think, I just don't think they're going to, they're, they can, I think they can play Duke extraordinarily tough, but I just don't think they can score enough points to beat that, to win that game. One thing, one team I think is really interesting is, uh, that I haven't really gotten a chance to kind of follow every game, but I was obviously super impressed with them against Duke. If... If Clemson beats wait, wait who are they who are they playing if if they beat if they beat Florida State that will mean they beat the top three teams yeah they that like because they beat Duke they beat um, Louisville and if they beat Florida State that'll mean that they beat the top three teams and yet right now they're fourteen and twelve so yeah I'm, I I honestly I'm I'm admitting I don't try to pretend like I know things I don't know just to kind of sound smart or anything I I'm not quite sure I haven't followed them throughout the year. But when I watch them, I mean, they got the talent, and I don't, I, I can't, I, I don't know why they haven't been able to uh, have better success. I don't know. I yeah, you're right, the, and all those games were were at Clemson, and that's where the Florida State game will be. So that seems to be like a lair for top teams, and North, and uh, and the fact that they, you know, finally beat North Carolina at the at the Dean Dome this year. What an interesting year for Clemson, seriously. Yeah, you could say that, Lily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Actually, they they beat uh, Syracuse too. Yeah, yeah, and they and um and they they beat they lost to um they lost to State, but um but they were able to uh, they were able to hang with a lot of these teams. You know they um they had a close loss to Colorado. Colorado's a good team, um and uh you you know they've been in a lot of games that you know they shouldn't have lost to Miami. They lost a close game to Miami. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes you know, luck is just what it is. You know, look again, look at look at the Tar Heels, because uh, because uh, uh, you know, luck certainly had their way with them this year. Oh, one thing I did forget to mention. I'll just go down this real quick because uh, they're about to play. I I, t- I took these stats down. I think actually just before they played NC State, so they might be a bit out of date. But at the same time, when playing the top 15 scores, Duke has done a hell of a job. Cole Anthony, he he's the number one. He did score above his average. He uh, averages 19.5, scored 24. But Jordan Awara, 18.8, he's number two, scored six against Duke. Mm-hmm. Elijah Hughes went above, 18.6, scored 21 against Duke. But Landers Nolly, 17.7, number three. As you said, seven points the first game, three points the second game. And each game, they were all in one half. And yesterday, he, he didn't even play the last 15 minutes. Yeah. So... Very interesting. Yeah, he um, do frustrates then, him. Yeah, Buddy Beheim, uh, number six, 17.3, held to 13. John Moody went above because that's when Duke kind of let Notre Dame's inside guys have uh, have their way when taking away their perimeter. He averages 16.3, scored 19. But Michael DeVoe, Georgia Tech, averages 16, scored 12. Chris Likes, both games, 15.3, scored 8 and 9 against Duke. And then here we go, Brandon Childress averages 15. Do you remember how many he scored against Duke? I, I don't. What what is a wild guess you can think of? I'm gonna say twenty. <laughs> what's it? What's a what's an even wilder guess? Uh, zero. You got it. He scored zero. <laughs> they held him to zero in the first game. So hey, 
his first points against Duke will be his first of the season. And, yeah, I mean, Duking really, I mean, shut these guys down. I mean, the, most of it is probably going to be Trey, but at the same time, Goldwire helps out. And, obviously, Duke does plenty of switching, so I'm sure Cassius will get a piece. But, uh, yeah, Garrison Brooks, he averages 14.5. He scored 18. So both the Carolina guys scored above, but when you only have two guys who can score, yeah, I guess that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, C.J. Bryce, 14.0, uh, scored 7. Um for NC State, and Dejan Vasilovic, 14, missed the second game. The first game, scored 9. And lastly, TJ Gibbs, 13.8. Do you, do you remember how many points uh, TJ, or some call him Temple, how many he scored against Duke? No, I don't off the top of my head. How many? How about, how about another wild guess? I'll say 16. Zero. Zero. He scored zero. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, I mean, Duke has a way of shutting down the mass majority. I mean... Except for those uh, Carolina guys and, uh, yeah, I think Mooney and uh, Elijah Hughes. I mean, they've really, really shut down some of the top scorers in the ACC. So we'll see if they can do the same uh, against Brandon Childress just like that first game. Yeah, you know, it's, interestingly, or sort of interestingly, if you're a nerd like I am, the uh, the Elijah Hughes has the potential right now to lead the, the ACC in scoring. Um, and... Um, and very few people – I read this statistic recently. Very few people in the ACC have led the league in scoring without averaging 20. It's only happened a handful of times. And uh, and um, the last person to do it was uh, was uh, Michael Young. Uh last Duke player to do it was Danny Ferry. He led the league in scoring in 1988 with 19.1. But Elijah Hughes uh, was probably our uh, scoring leader this year at about 18.9. Yeah, I think 88, they, uh, where they start the three-pointer about 85. So I don't know. Maybe they were just – Still kind of getting used to it. Maybe that's why yeah. scoring was a little bit uh, down, but who knows. Yeah. Um, all right. Till it gets to, like, AC tournament, even then, I really don't really start paying attention until it actually gets to where Duke has played their last ACC tournament game. But Bracket Matrix, which uh, I don't think they, it has been updated. It says it's been updated today, but I would highly doubt it's been updated in terms of Many uh, kind of including the fact that Maryland lost because right now, according to Bracket Matrix, which is really the only site worth going to for uh, bracket predictions because it's not a bracket prediction. It's just literally a uh, an aggregate that has about 7 billion um, different brackets. It's every single person who is generally considered an expert as well as every site, every platform, everything. It's on here. And it all, it's all included, and it's just – it adds up to a number. So right now, one, two, three, four, Duke is the, the second number two seed, mm-hmm. and Maryland's in front of them. It goes uh, Baylor, Kansas, Gonzaga, and San Diego State. That is, they, those are your top four. Uh, Baylor and Kansas, they're averaging 1.0. Gonzaga, 1.12. San Diego State, 1.14. Maryland, 1.87. And then Duke's there, 1.90. That's just the average of where they are seated. So Duke, they obviously still have some work to do, but they have plenty of opportunities. And honestly, at this point in time, I think the games really, I mean, it'll sort itself out. I mean, there's obviously kind of that sounds almost like elitist because there are many teams who absolutely are thinking about possible seeds who are on the bubble. And they they don't know if they're going to win their conference tournament. And these are all, and right now is huge. And as I say many times, which I'm, which many cannot understand, Maryland is my number two team. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I like Maryland, and this is a weird year where they're not actually on the bubble. Nine times out of ten, 
they are always on the ball. <laughs> I never true. know if they're gonna if they're gonna get in or not. So this isn't like something where oh I like Duke and like so I, I don't have to worry about it. And if anyone wants to know my number three Towson, they never get in. So I never, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm never stressed about that. Although they're 18 and 12, who knows? Who knows? Good <laughs> CAA tournament, they're taking over. Oh man, if um, they only had, if they only had Goldwire. <laughs> they only had Goldwire. And Frank Mason, I'll never forgive him for not attending Towson. How dare he go to Kansas instead of Towson? Boy, that Why would anyone so choose Kansas instead of Towson? Why would Goldwire choose Duke instead of Towson? It makes no sense to me. I, I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah. Duke and Kansas, crappy basketball <laughs> All right, so you, you got anything else to add right now? I think we covered pretty much every aspect of the Virginia Tech game. There will be plenty of time to talk more about AC tournament seedings and uh, NCAA tournament stuff. I said I would talk about one team um, every episode in terms of a team that I would not Duke anywhere. I would not want Duke anywhere near in the NCAA tournament or a team that I'm just high on in the first place. I think it's better if I do it every other like kind of once a week thing. And uh, hey, cheers to me with West Virginia. I think they, I think they lost like the first game. I said I don't want Duke anywhere near them. <laughs> but I also said I don't even know if I'm high on them. It's just the way they play. I don't want Duke anywhere near them. I don't care if they are a one seed or I don't care if they are a twelve seed. I don't want Duke matched up with them because I just don't like that matchup. So it's not even about oh I think they're great. It's just literally the matchup that I'm not a big fan of. Yeah, I, All right, Greg, you got anything to uh, add before we close it up? I would uh, I would throw Creighton out of that list, but uh, we can talk about that some other time. Yeah. You sure you don't want to add a couple things about oh, no. Creighton? No, no, no. We can maybe we can talk about that next time when we talk about the NCAA tournament because uh, I don't want to get I don't want to get anywhere near Creighton. I've I've watched them play a few times. They're one of those teams that have just randomly showed up on my TV where I'm just looking, and it's almost like they're haunting me, and I'm I'm scared of them. So uh, are they still coached by Greg McDermott? I feel like he's been there forever. Uh, you know, I don't know off the top of my head, but uh, but I think they're worth watching. It just I don't want to see Duke play them. That's all. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um. There is nothing that gets more comprehensive than this in terms of understanding why Duke wins, why Duke loses, what's going on, the context involved. Because honestly, you know what is going you know what was the kind of talking points after after the Duke Virginia Tech game? It's why can't if Duke shoots this well all the time, they they will be impossible to be. Why can't Duke play this well all the time? Unless you are content with the uh, cliche narratives, which, hey, more power to you if you are. I think this is where you're going to go for more than that because there is nothing else that offers that, literally nothing. So hopefully you will do me a favor. You will tell people you know. You will rate. You will review. You will do everything you can to help me and make this podcast more well-known so I can kind of gravitate up and cover Duke because I believe Duke deserves the best coverage possible. They're not getting it right now. They deserve better, and I can be someone who will do my damnedest to provide it for them. So I am uh, thankful for Greg to be joining me on this podcast. Hopefully you will do the same in the future. This is absolutely getting towards, if not already, the most fun time of the year in college basketball, and I'm happy to share it on the pod with you. So thanks so much. So for Greg, I am Adam Comero. Thank you so much for listening to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I will be talking to you soon.